this is tailgate till may if you love college sports and you love gambling this is the place for you i'm your host steven gorgie and i'm excited to be back for another episode following week two of the college football season you can find me on social media twitter instagram tiktok at Gorgon Sports. I'd love to hear from you there. I'd love for you to be part of the show, get involved in the show. So tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me what I got right and tell me what I got wrong. And after week two, there is one big thing that I did get wrong. And it's that Texas Alabama game, the game of the week, because I thought Alabama was going to roll. I did not believe in Texas. I didn't believe in Quinn yours. I didn't believe in the Texas offensive line. I said, look, Alabama is Alabama for a reason. They have the best top to bottom roster in all of college football. Nobody recruits quite as well as Alabama, except Georgia. Georgia's the only school on the same tier as them. I even said, Jalen Milrow looks so good in week one. Quinn Ewers has not impressed me over the last year in a game. I'd actually rather have Jalen Milrow in this game. I think he gives you a better chance to win this football game. Well, I was very, very wrong on that. And when I'm wrong, I admit it. And I got to give props here to Texas. What a fantastic win for Texas going into Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama 34 to 24. And a huge part of the reason why they won that game was the exceptional play of Quinn yours. Quinn yours was was composed. He was calm. He delivered. He connected on several deep balls. He didn't make mistakes. He threw for three touchdowns, no interceptions, nearly 350 yards. And he had an exceptional game. One of the things that he did not do very well at all in week one was connect on the long ball. And he did a fantastic job of that against Alabama. That was one of the things that I was, was critical of. That was one of the things I was nervous about for Texas and Quinn yours. Another thing that I was nervous about was that offensive line and what they would do and could they compete with Alabama and would they be able to protect Quinn yours the way after the way they played against rice and all in all, they, they fared pretty well. They only gave up two sacks. And when you compare how Texas's offensive line looked compared to how Alabama's offensive line looked, it was clear that Texas had the advantage in the trenches, both on offense and on defense. Texas looked like the team I mean, defensively, Texas got to Jalen Milrow five times, but they also were constantly pushing Jalen Milrow out of the pocket. Now, part of that was he he kind of wants to get out of the pocket. I think, I think he's more comfortable moving, but Texas was making life really difficult for Jalen Milrow. I didn't feel like Alabama was making life super difficult, super hard for Quinn yours. And that's a big credit to that offensive line that was much maligned after a mediocre performance against rice in week one. So just a, a big shout out to Texas for everything they did in that game. And really a big shout out to Texas when we're talking about the offensive line and we're talking about this offense, it's a somewhat underrated drive in this game. It's one that some people might've already flipped away from. So some of the more exciting finishes of the night, but to essentially ice this game, Texas, they went on a 
seven minute and 14 second drive to end the game. They were up 10. They never gave the ball back to Alabama after Alabama punted it away with seven minutes and 14 seconds to go. And they just kept it on the ground. They chewed up clock. They did what they needed to do. And that's a huge credit to the offensive line there and that Texas, that Texas offense. And I got to give them a lot of credit for that. And I got to give Texas a lot of credit for staying composed because Alabama took a lead late in the third quarter. Alabama went up 16 to 13. And I think it would have been really easy at that point for Texas to say for Texas players, coaches, fans, certainly fans. And I'm sure there were many Texas fans out there that were thinking up same old deal. Texas kind of felt like the better team through much of those first three quarters and for them to be down going into the fourth quarter, I'm sure was very disappointing there, but it would have been easy for Texas to kind of say, we gave it a shot, but this is uh, we, we didn't, we didn't cash in when we needed to. We, you know, missed on a few opportunities and now here comes Alabama. They took the lead and I don't know if we can respond and that's not what they did at all because after that point, Texas went touchdown, 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 and then the seven minute drive to end the game. Texas was unstoppable in the fourth quarter. They owned the fourth quarter. Texas hit on big plays and they did it on a down by down basis. They, they went on that long drive to end the game. Like I talked about, and you just really got to, take your hat off to Texas and congratulate them on a job well done and finding a way to get that victory. And what really excites me when I look at the bigger picture is this season of college football, it feels so wide open at the very top. I can't remember the last time it really felt this wide open where there were this many teams in in legitimate competition for the top of the sport. There's been so many years where we had Alabama Clemson fatigue. We saw it over and over and over again. We've kind of gotten Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state fatigue to some extent recently, but you look around the league this year around the country rather. And there are so many teams from so many leagues that feel like they can compete. They can compete at the very top. They can compete for a college ball playoff spot and they can potentially compete for a national title. And I know it's just one win. I know it's just week two. But as someone who has doubted Texas over and over and over again throughout this whole offseason and into the season, I think it's very clear you have to put Texas among that group. Texas and Florida State have the two best wins in the country right now. And I would put Texas's as the best win in the country because they went on the road to Tuscaloosa, a place that nobody wins, especially out of conference. And they looked like the better football team all night long. The eye test matches the score, matches the statistics of the game and the advanced statistics of the game. Texas was the better football team. They did it with big plays. They did it on a down-by-down basis. They got after 
Alabama on the defensive side of the ball. They forced turnovers. Texas was the better football team in this game. And now they are one of the many teams in the country that should feel like they can legitimately compete for a national title. I would say there's probably 10 teams that feel like they can compete for a national title right now. And that's a super exciting place to be after where we've been for so many years in this sport, where it almost feels like a foregone conclusion, which teams are going to be playing in the college football playoff and which teams are going to be playing and winning the national championship. And it's been so many years where even going to the college football playoff, it's like, okay, there's a four team playoff, but the one and two seeds are so clearly the top two teams that you'll have double digit favorites in those college football playoff semifinal games. And it doesn't feel like that this year. It feels exciting with this new blood with Texas looking like they have a real shot with Florida state looking like they have a real shot with the PAC 12 contenders, USC, Washington, just an unbelievably explosive offense and not to say USC isn't because they are as well, but both of those two unbelievably explosive offenses. And then Oregon, a third explosive offense in that league. You have Utah who all they ever do is find ways to win two and O against Florida and Baylor. One of them, a road game at Baylor where they find a way to survive without their starting quarterback cam rising. They make it through that stretch two and O and I would still have my doubts on whether they're truly a CFP contender, but they are a team that is going to make life hard every single night. You have Notre Dame going on the road to NC state. That game took like eight hours to play. It was a noon kickoff. I don't think it was done until maybe after the six o'clock Eastern time hour, they, they went through this lightning delay. They were there all day. It's a tough place to play. They stayed focused and they quite frankly took care of business against the Notre uh, against an NC state team. That's not fantastic, but I would put them on the level of say a Washington state, a Texas tech, uh, a Baylor and Utah. They got by Baylor, but it was really close. Oregon, they got by Texas Tech, and it was really, really close. That was a game that I thought Texas Tech had all but wrapped up, essentially. And then Washington State takes down Wisconsin. It's tough to go on the road. And winning on the road by itself is impressive, but doing what Notre Dame did on the road to NC State is very impressive. And I think that means... Notre Dame now has to be talked about in that conversation as part of that group of 10 teams who could potentially win or at least compete for a national championship. You have the three big 10 teams in Ohio state, Penn state, and Michigan, Penn state and Michigan have not done a single thing to show you that they are not contenders for the college ball playoff and Ohio state had a rocky first game against Indiana, but they're breaking in a new quarterback. They went on the road. They looked a little bit better against Youngstown state in week two, of course, a step down in competition, but they are breaking in a new quarterback and Marvin Harrison caught a couple touchdown passes and they given the name, given the pedigree, given how they recruit, given the talent they have on that team, you have to still think they are right there in the conversation. This year is open. 
It's open at the top. It's open within so many different conferences. Look at the SEC West, for example, right now. And we're going to get back to Alabama in a second. I'm not going to do this whole thing. And I want to focus on the positive and what Texas accomplished. But we do have to get back to Alabama and what it means that they lost. But you look at the SEC West right now. And you have... We're not even at week three yet, guys. We haven't even kicked the ball off on week three. It's September 10th as we record this. And Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M all sit at one and one overall. 500 on the year. They each have a loss. And it's not even October yet. It's not even mid-September yet. The SEC West is open. Now, Auburn 2-0, they survived at Cal. I don't think they're going to be at the top. Salem, Mississippi State surviving a, a home test against Arizona. But is it possible that somebody steps up and wins that division? A division that is so thoroughly dominated by blue bloods of the sport and teams that always recruit at a top 5 or 10 level and are near perfect. If you win that division, you are going to be a national championship con contender in most years. Is it possible somebody steps up in surprises and wins that division? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is right now. Now let's go back to Alabama because you got to tip your hat to Texas. You got to give them credit for everything that they did. I feel like this game was much more about what Texas is than what Alabama isn't. But having said all that, Alabama made some mistakes in this game. Alabama turned the ball over at some inopportune times. Jalen Milrow had two interceptions. Alabama had 10 penalties, including two penalties that took touchdowns off the board. Alabama made some critical mistakes at critical times. And you wonder how much of that is fixable, how much of it is correctable, how much can they improve on those things throughout the course of the season, and how much of it is baked in to what this team is. I look, Jalen Milrow, I everybody knows I was really high on him coming into this game. I my expectations have been tempered a bit by what I saw in this game, but he is still a very dynamic player. He still makes explosive plays. He can still throw a very good looking deep ball, not always the most accurate deep ball. I think this is still an Alabama team that on any given night can beat any given team. But, they are not the dominant juggernaut that we once knew. They're not just going to roll over everybody. And again, I think the sport is better for it. If you're an Alabama fan, you're not happy about it. But I, I, I much prefer this type of season than knowing that we're headed for an Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game. Both are probably going to make the CFP and one of them is going to win the national title. Now, why? I, I think it does go 
beyond Jalen Milrow for Alabama. I don't think that they have, and we talked about this a little bit on the, on the preview show, but I didn't think it would come home to roost in quite this way that Alabama doesn't have that elite first round talent at receiver that they've had. They had some pretty unimpressing, unimpressive receiving numbers on the night. And I, I don't think that helped the situation and their offensive line, te- Texas looked more physical. Texas's defensive line looked more physical than Alabama's offensive line. And they made Jalen Milrow and Alabama's offense more uncomfortable than Alabama made the Texas offense. And that's really what surprised me in this game. That's really what I didn't expect. And when Alabama is not making the other team uncomfortable, when Alabama doesn't feel like they're the more physical team in the trenches. And then you don't have a Bryce young back there. You have a guy who is still very explosive, still very exciting, but is not at the level of Bryce young is not the number one overall pick that Bryce young was, is not maybe the most exciting player in college football over the past couple of years that Bryce young was then. Yeah. You're, you're in for a little bit of a world of hurt. I thought, Honestly, Alabama's secondary in the back and they made some good plays. But at the end of the day, when you give up almost 350 yards receiving, it's tough to say that the back end looked great. I really think it came down to the fact that I thought Alabama would be able to make Texas uncomfortable offensively and they were not able to do so. And then Quinn Ewers went out and proved he was significantly better, at least on that night. But I think it's safe to say he is the far better quarterback than Jalen Milrow right now. So what's next for Alabama? Well, they're going to have to find a way to get better. And Nick Saban teams do tend to do that. Certainly that's what all good teams do is they get better as the season goes on. I feel like we tend to forget that teams are able to change and improve and adapt as as the season goes on. And that's really the mark of a good team. So no Alabama season is not over yet. No, the dynasty, the Nick Saban run is not over yet, but yeah, we're not going to see Alabama just roll over people like it's 2012. But I'll tell you this, I think if, you know, a few changes, a few tweaks here and there going into next year, they're able to add high-end receiver talent, maybe pick up a transfer quarterback. There's nothing to say that, that Alabama can't be, can't, that's, that's enough to flip the result for Alabama in a game like this. So Alabama to me is not, dead. The dynasty is not over. It just needs to tweak a few things. And that very well can happen as the season goes on, as far as it relates to the turnovers and the penalties and the offensive line improving. Uh, But the talent at wide receiver and the explosive playmakers there, that's something that's an off season conversation, whether Jalen Milrow can, be the quarterback. That's a, that's more of an off season conversation. So the bottom line for me is this. I think this game was, was more about what Texas did than what Alabama didn't do. Uh, but I don't think this is an Alabama team that is a 
a vintage Nick Saban Alabama team. And that's a huge part of the reason why this is going to be such a wide open year in college football. And it's something I'm really excited about because I think we're all going to be better off for it. It's going to make the games each week that much more meaningful. And that's a really good thing if you're a fan of the sport. The other big news in the world of college football on Sunday was that Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker has been suspended without pay by Michigan State following allegations that he sexually harassed a sexual assault awareness speaker named Brenda Tracy, who was hired to address the Spartans football team. Uh, Brenda Tracy is very well known. She has worked with many, many college football teams and college athletic departments. And it's very much worth your time for you to check out the USA Today article that came out this morning on the topic. And then Mel Tucker was suspended less than 24 hours of that article being published. It is well worth your time to go and read that article. Very thorough, very thoroughly investigated by Kenny Jacoby of USA Today. Michigan State's athletic director said he became aware that there was an accusation that Tucker had violated the school's sexual misconduct policy in December and a third party investigator was hired to determine if Tucker had violated the policy. The investigator finished that report in July and recommended the school hold a hearing, which is scheduled for the first week of October. According to an ESPN.com article by Dan Murphy, No formal decision on Tucker's job status is expected until that hearing concludes. Harlan Barnett, who is in his 15th year as a member of the Spartans football staff and was an All-American at Michigan State in his playing days, will take over as the interim head coach. This is the biggest story of the day in college football, and it's one we'll be keeping a close eye on and tracking as more news follows. Want to get into a couple weekly segments that I'm going to start doing on these recap shows. The first is my group of five team of the week. And there were so many options to choose from in this week two of the college football season. There was JMU. JMU, they go to Virginia. They go to Charlottesville. They were touchdown favorites over the Who's, but still they get a win and it felt like an upset because they are in their second year of FBS football going to the in-state team and getting a win. That's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations to the JMU Dukes on that. And then you have not even a G5 team, but an FCS team in Idaho going to Nevada, taking down the Wolfpack. Idaho, a team that has actually moved down from FBS to FCS in the last few years, but they go and get a go and get a big win over Nevada there. And then you have another FCS team 
You have Eastern Washington going to Fresno a week after Fresno beats Purdue and taking them to the brink. Fresno escapes in double overtime against Eastern Washington. But my G5 team of the week has to be none other than the Rice Owls. And they take down their crosstown rival Houston 43 to 45, 43 to 41 in double overtime in one of the wildest games of this young college football season. Rice scores 21 points in the fourth quarter to tie this game and send it to overtime. They ultimately end up winning in double overtime when Houston fails to convert on a two point conversion and rice wins behind the arm of quarterback JT Daniels, who has been all around the world. They go out and they get a huge win. And this is just a, a big win for the rice football program. This is a, a big win for rice fans for Houston, you know, as a team that moved up to the big 12, they used to be Southwest conference rivals once upon a time. And Houston has far surpassed rice as a football program. Houston is a far better football program than rice. But on this day, the rice owls, get the big upset win in a wild game down in Houston. So hats off to the Rice Owls. They are my G5 team of the week. Now, I know in college football, you are what your record is. But going forward every week, I want to take a look at a team that lost the previous day, but I'm still buying or I still think is maybe better than that loss indicates and a team that won the previous day that I'm selling on right now. I'm selling high or I think maybe they're not quite as good as what that win says they are. So who am I buying after yesterday? Which team lost that I'm still pretty high on? I'm going with the Tulane green wave. They lost by 17 at home to Ole Miss, but they played very admirably without quarterback Michael Pratt. They really impressed me how close they played that game without him. And the thing that impressed me the most about that team was their defense and their defensive line. They got after Ole Miss eight tackles for a loss four sacks and sacks of course are included in this number, but they held Ole Miss to 2.5 yards per carry. They held Quinchon Judkins to 2.7 yards per carry. So, I mean, that of course doesn't include sacks right there. Holding Quinchon Judkins to 2.7 yards per carry is a really impressive feat by itself. When you think of Tulane, when you think of the AAC, you kind of think offense, 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 but it seems like this Tulane defense could be really good if they're able to do that to Ole Miss and that Ole Miss rushing game. Just looking back at Quinshawn Judkins game logs from last season, there was not a single game last year, including the bowl game where he was under four yards per carry, not a single game. Ole Miss held him to 2.7 yesterday. That's really impressive to me. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, if you look at some of the predictive analytics out there, 
you'll see that Tulane moved down yesterday in Bill Connolly's SP plus they moved down. They're basically right back to where they were when they started the season. They moved up a bit after their win over South Alabama. Now they move back down after yesterday's loss. And I just, I think that's incorrect to downgrade them at all in your power rankings right now. I think as long as Michael Pratt, comes back and is healthy. I think they should be far and away the favorite to win the American. And that defense just really impressed me yesterday in that loss against Ole Miss. So Tulane, they are the team that I'm buying low on right now. If you will, who am I selling on? So the team that I'm selling the team that I not too into, despite the fact that they're two and oh, they won yesterday. It's the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They beat Eastern Michigan 25 to six. They moved the two and oh on the season after getting an opening week win versus Nebraska. And I am just, I'm skeptical of this offense. I'm skeptical of this offense and how productive it can be without having a Mo Ibrahim at running back there in that backfield. Now, Darius Taylor did go for almost 200 yards for Minnesota yesterday against Eastern Eastern Michigan. But if you look a little bit deeper at this Minnesota team, it just feels like they are one of the worst offenses in the entire country right now. If you look at offensive success rate through the first couple weeks of the season, Minnesota ranks 82nd in that 82nd out of 134 so or out of 133 rather. So on a down to down basis, they are one of the bottom. I don't know what's 84 divided by 133 there 84 by 133 that's 63, 63%. They're in the bottom third in the country as far as how successful their offense is on a down-to-down basis. When it comes to explosiveness, even worse. They're one of the 12 worst teams in the country when it comes to offensive explosiveness. I really, I don't like this Minnesota offense. And I think things come to a head for them when they play North Carolina Next week, they go to Chapel Hill, and that's a good segue into some of our look-ahead games for week three because I've already put some money down on three week three games, starting with that North Carolina-Minnesota game. And I have North Carolina minus six and a half against Minnesota. I do not trust that Minnesota offense. Yes, they have a very good defense, but I think in 2023... Good offense will beat good defense. And the way that North Carolina's offense is playing right now is impeccable. North Carolina has a running game now. They showed against App State yesterday, and App State always plays them tough. And it's a weird in state rivalry. And it's a team that in App State that really wants to prove that they belong against the likes of North Carolina. That game went to overtime, but North Carolina put up 40 points and they showed that they can run the football. They ran for 319 yards. Omarion Hampton ran for 235 yards himself, nine yards per carry and three touchdowns. That is a huge boon for North Carolina. This offense is 
really good. It's I think it's going to continue humming right along there. And I think Minnesota is going to have to score points against them to keep up. And I don't think they can do it. I think North Carolina is going to score. Minnesota is not going to be able to keep up. And uh, North Carolina's defense is improved enough, as we saw against South Carolina, that they'll keep Minnesota's offense at bay here. I like North Carolina to run away with that non-conference game at home. Give me North Carolina minus six and a half. Uh, a couple other games I'm looking forward to. A game I'll be at. My first live college football game of the season. Maryland taking on UVA on a Friday night. Maryland opened as a 13 and a half point favorite. And that's what I got it at in this game. Uh, I think this line is low. I think Maryland should have been between a maybe 17 and a half to 21 point favorite in this game. You look at the JMU UVA game, JMU, they were favored by seven to seven and a half on the road. So you're telling me that's basically a nine and a half, 10 point game uh, on a neutral field. And JMU would be like a 12 and a half, 13 point favorite at home. So you're telling me JMU and Maryland are the same. I'm not quite buying that at all. Uh, Maryland didn't have the greatest game against Charlotte last night, got off to a real sloppy start. They put things together and the, the game was really never in doubt. This North Carolina or this Virginia offense rather is not very good. Neither is the defense. I, just think that Maryland, you know, kind of similar to the North Carolina situation that I just talked about Maryland with Talia Tungavailoa at quarterback and they have a good running game and they have some good receive. They, they have much better skill than Virginia does. And I think Maryland puts up points. Virginia can't compete with it. And Maryland's defense has actually been quite good this season as it was last season as well. And I think uh, Maryland runs away with this one on a Friday night. It's a game I'm excited to be going to and a game that I actually think Maryland fans are going to get up for. It's a Virginia as a school. Maryland has not played in quite a while. It's one of Maryland's older rivals going back to the ACC days and uh, one of the few teams in football that Maryland really feels like it it has a true rivalry with. It's probably West Virginia and Virginia are kind of the two that Maryland has built a true rivalry with over the years. Penn State, Maryland's not really a rivalry. It's a one-sided rivalry. Maryland fans, we care about it, but Penn State fans could care couldn't care less about Maryland because Maryland's never really a threat for to them. And I think with uh you know, this new age of conference realignment and not really playing regional rivals as much. I think Maryland fans are going to get up for this one on a Friday night and be excited for the who's to come to town. Uh, I, I think Maryland just runs away with this one. Maryland is better at the skill positions. Maryland is just the overall better team with the better quarterback, the better offense the better defense. Virginia has a 30% offensive success rate so far this season. Uh, Virginia, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball has only generated a 13% havoc rate on defense. And I think in order to 
in order to disrupt Maryland's offense to, to disrupt Talia Tunga Vailoa, you're going to have to put some pressure on him. And that's not something Virginia has shown the ability to do this season. Now, Maryland hasn't shown the ability to do that uh, a lot themselves. They're, just a tick better than Virginia in that havoc rate category. The difference is that on a down to down basis, Maryland is getting stops. Well, UVA is also one of the worst teams in the country when it comes to defensive success rate, only Arkansas state and Kent state are worse than them. So I like Maryland's offense to go up and down the field on Virginia. I like the Terps minus 13 and a half at home facing an old rival on a Friday night. And then my last bet, of the week, at least for now, at least till we get to, to midweek and I gave you the rest of my card, is TCU and Houston over. These are two teams where the offenses are both much better than the defenses. They haven't shown a lot of ability to stop anybody this season and they both want to play fast. They both play really fast. You look at the plays per game numbers for this 2023 season, Houston's sitting at 12th in the country in 79 and a half plays per game. TCU's right behind them at 79 plays per game. So you combine all that together. I think it's a recipe for uh, over. I really thought this one would be closer to 65, 68 than 60. So when I saw it at 60 and a half, I wanted to snap it up before it went any higher. Those are my three early plays of the week. Week two, not the greatest for me from a gambling perspective. I was six and eight against the spread. Oh, and one on my money line parlay of the week. I just missed being even seven and going 500, seven and seven by a hair. I had Texas tech plus seven against Oregon. And if you watch that game, you saw what happened at the end of the game for Oregon to get a late backdoor cover there felt like the games I was right on. I was pretty right on the games I was wrong on. I was pretty wrong on. And that one was, was the one that I thought I could have had. I was clearly wrong on Alabama minus six and a half, but I thought that under was definitely going to hit going into the fourth quarter. It was 13, 19, 29 points total after three quarters and then they combine for 29 points in the fourth quarter. So that one was definitely a disappointing one. Uh, that number that I shared there, that six and eight number on the week, that does include some of the bets that I added that I posted on Twitter after the show posted last week. That includes some live bets I put out there that I also posted on Twitter during the games. So make sure you're following me on Twitter for all of my up to the moment gambling thoughts. That's also where I posted some of these early week three picks that I got in on Saturday or Sunday morning, rather Sunday, early afternoon. As soon as these lines are dropping, I was devastated about one that I missed out on. I saw Kansas state against their, they're playing Missouri next week. And I was thinking, going into the day. If I can get a Kansas state line, if I can get them under three, I think they've looked really good so far. They've kind of been untested though. I think they look really good though. And uh, I was thinking if I could just get Kansas state under a field goal, under a field goal, that would be fantastic. Sure enough opens up like minus one and a half. I think I saw it around 10 this morning on FanDuel. Unfortunately, I was in a state where I couldn't bet at the time and I had no way of getting it in by the time I got back to Maryland where I could put my bet in. 
it was already up to Kansas State minus four and a half. So missed out on that one, unfortunately. That was one I would like to have. But I really like those three that I got in on already here and uh, be back later this week to give you the rest of my card, break it all down and keep making progress. We get on the right side of 500 this week in the week three of the college football season. That's our show for today. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>